So this podcast really started out with a bunch of off-the-cuff conversations with my peers, with my friends, with my colleagues, just wondering how people felt about this topic. And that has been incredibly helpful for me to understand that I'm not alone here and that this is something that actually others are pretty concerned about too. That's not to say that we know everything about it. Certainly, we only know our own experience and we're able to review what little data is out there on this topic, right? But sometimes it's really helpful to actually talk to someone who has made this their life's work, who's in academia, who is, for better or worse, an expert in this particular subject. Our guest today is Daniel Jollas, who was once a tech consultant, but now is actually a researcher at the London School of Economics, who's working towards his PhD in psychology. But he's working on research specifically around applying age inclusivity and diversity efforts to the workplace. He's looking at behavioral science trends in these particular topics. Likewise, he's also working with another organization called the Age Equity Alliance, which is around to try to ensure and promote the idea of age equity across all ages in the workforce. So yeah, Daniel's pretty much a a perfect guest for this podcast, and I'm thrilled to have him here today to tell you specifically what he has seen to be the value of older experienced workers in the workplace, and also to explain why it's so important that organizations out there actually employ a wide range of age ranges within their employee ranks. You're listening to It Gets Late Early, a show about the experience of getting older in the tech industry. I'm your host, Maureen Wiley-Clough. Let's dive in. Daniel, I am so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining It Gets Late Early. I think you're the perfect guest to discuss this topic at hand, which is really what the value of older workers is in the workforce and talking about the sorts of things that they can actually experience as as candidates and as employees themselves. So would love to hear a little bit more about who you are, what you do, your research, what drew you to this topic, and, and just get to know you a little bit better. Maureen, it's my pleasure. And firstly, a big thank you for doing this podcast because it is such an important topic. <laughs> uh, so my first career was in project management. I was working as a management consultant and I found myself working on a large number of kind of merger and redundancy programs. And often when I was on those programs, I started thinking about, well, there's a lot of people here with great skills who are going into early retirement. And I was asking myself, well, how am I going to stay relevant myself if that redundancy period comes? So I was really interested in behavioral science and behavioral psychology. I found myself reading a lot of the classics, like Thinking Fast and Slow, as so many of us had. Uh, And I thought, I really want to go and have this career change into psychology and learn more about this topic and apply behavioral science to longer fulfilling working lives. After all, we're in an aging population, it's an aging workforce, and I just thought this was going to be a really rich area of study. So um, I'm now around five years into that particular change. I'm just finishing my PhD in psychology here in the UK, and I'm fortunate enough to be working with a great team at the London School of Economics in the Inclusion Initiative, which is really focused on inclusion across all uh, different categories and um, for everyone. That's wonderful. And I think it's really interesting that at such an early part of your career, you identified this potential pitfall for yourself and you saw this happening around you and you thought, how, how can we get ahead of this and how, we can make, how can we make this better and ensure 
people, these skilled workers with all this knowledge and expertise, that they stay a part of the workforce and keep contributing, which is, that's awesome. That's really cool. Thank, thank you. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a pressing challenge. Yes. And it seems actually, from what I've seen out there, it seems that the UK is a little bit ahead of the pack with regard to actually focusing in on this. I, I don't see as much of this emphasis in the US. I see a lot more press that's coming out of the US on this particular topic of the aging workforce and keeping people engaged in the workplace. And it's uh, it's it's fascinating to me. I, I wish the US would kind of catch up. So hopefully we can we can push us a little bit forward. But love love to see all that you're doing over there. It's just it's an incredibly important societal thing for us ultimately it impacts so much yeah i mean i feel uh i feel like we're really early into this conversation i think it's now in the uk they're having the first glimpses of the conversation about well how do we attract people back into the workforce who perhaps have retired during covid19 how do we incentivize people to stay in the workforce for longer and i think it's particularly topical because we're seeing the riots and protests in france as they try and increase the retirement age. And for me, I think that creates a really important question, which is, well, A, how do we resolve this economic imperative of keeping people in the workplace for longer? But also, how do we make sure that people want to be in the workplace for longer and that that work is meaningful and fulfilling and that it's part of people's purpose and longer-term goals? Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine for a lot of people, this is a real mindset shift, right? It's, it's, you know, we've all thought about retirement. We've all dreamed about going to that private island, maybe private, maybe not. We've been all, all dreaming about that sort of day in the sun where we're sipping Mai Tais by the beach or just, I don't know, playing with your grandchildren or whatever, just not doing a nine to five Monday through Friday sort of gig, right? So shifting that mentality, I think might be really quite difficult in some cases. And it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I think that's already changing. So I think we're already seeing in the data that the majority of people are no longer having what we call that cliff edge retirement, which is you walk in, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a Monday um, <laughs> of your last week of work, on Friday you leave, they give you a golden watch and then you never go back. <laughs> that story... That story is just not the reality anymore. So what people are doing now is they're often engaging in part-time work, flexible work. Often they're um, doing what we call bridge employment, which might be taking a different job with a different employer on a more casual basis or perhaps working for the same employer, reduced hours, and slowly rounding it down. And for me personally, I don't have that dream about retiring on a beach and never going back to work. <laughs> I want to be working for as long as possible. I love what I do. I want to stay relevant. And I think it's more important that we focus on kind of how we build the flexibility into our jobs later. And I have this kind of out there idea that instead of retiring, we should be offered a kind of six to 12 month sabbatical where we can use some of our retirement savings when we reach a particular age we can have that holiday we can sip those my ties but at the end we have the security of coming back to the job that we've enjoyed reconnecting with our colleagues and maybe doing it a bit more on a part-time or a flexible basis just to keep ourselves working a little bit longer which answers the economic imperative but also our personal needs i mean work is good for us it's good for our mind it keeps us healthy it keeps us social and yeah i think some of that gets lost in this kind of uh, retirement ideal 
Absolutely true. And by the way, I think that's one of the best ideas I've heard in quite some time, because I can tell you thinking through, you know, even my own aging relatives, they want to go do all the things now that they have the time, right? And guess what? Their body is starting to fail them just when they need it most, right? To go out and do those adventures. So I love the concept of the ability to take a sabbatical and to go enjoy the world with the time that you have that you're most, you know, able-bodied and capable of going to do all the things that really move you. So I think that's actually beautiful. So love it. I think we should push it forward. And I know some organizations do allow for the sabbatical. That is something that does does happen. I would say not all tremendously all that often, but it does happen in some really forward thinking and cool companies that I totally want to work for, by the way. But it's just, it's something that I think as a concept needs to be floated because we we all don't know how much time we have on this planet, right? And Certainly people are living longer and longer, and we all unfortunately do need financial resources to keep on going, keep a roof over our head in many countries, right? The U.S. is Mm -hmm. definitely uh, ingrained with that whole individualism, personal responsibility bent, and yet we haven't met the moment of the fact that the lifespan of the average human continues to increase, right? So we don't have those systems in place. We don't have the societal sort of safety net. We don't have the workplace culture, et cetera. So it really is a conundrum that has been giving me pause for a while uh, as I started to think about the fact that at some point I'm going to no longer be maybe as, as preferred as a candidate as I might enjoy the status of today, right? And so I wanted to dig into that and understand the psychology behind it. And, you know, what what does that say about our society and what does that say about the way in which we view aging? And so I think, you know, actually speaking a little bit more about your your background in psychology, it would be really interesting to hear your perspective on society's feeling about aging. I mean, I, I know I can tell you from as a woman, my perspective is aging is like the worst possible thing you could do, right? Every single product that is hawked at me is anti-aging this, anti-aging that, right? Like women are constantly chasing the fountain of youth. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, your perspective on on the psychology societally of aging. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, um, I think what I'm most interested in is where the psychology of society enters the psychology of the workplace. Love and that. I think I think certainly when we look at aging, there are these kind of two classic stereotypes that we have of older people in our society that really play out in our workplace. So the first one is a kind of positive one, uh, which is warmth, which is that older people are warm, that they're going to be friendly. And this wow. is a little bit of the narrative that we have, which is kind That's of That's fascinating. I feel as though that's not necessarily the case in the United States. I feel like there's the the trope of the old crotchety grumpy man or yeah, you know, as opposed to the, the guy as opposed to the old man in our pool, yeah, that, that kind of. Do you know, know what the I heart mean? Of gold it's, who can open up. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I I have always loved older people. I've always found elderly people fascinating. I always want to hear their life stories. I always feel that they have so much to impart, so much wisdom comparatively. And so I don't have that old trope really, but there's that stereotype that I think exists in the United States. Anyhow, uh, that's that's fascinating to hear about the warmth uh, as another one. But Yeah, I mean, maybe a good way to contrast that is when we think about younger people in the workplace and we think along the lines of competitiveness. Hmm. So do we see older people as being as competitive as younger people in the workplace? Perhaps that's a good substitute that we can, we can look at to kind of look at some of those warmth 
dimensions. Yeah. But but the thing that's really damaging for older people in the workplace is this stereotype around competence, and that is is that older people are somehow less competent. Yeah, absolutely. And that stereotype. Yeah, and I think that stereotype comes out a lot in tech. We hear these terms of, you know, tech natives. But I think there's also a little bit of this kind of IQ idea that people enter this kind of cognitive decline as they get older. You hear people say, oh, it's harder to learn new things and do stuff. And really, a lot of that is false. The actual declines that we have as we get older, they're pretty minimal, particularly when we look at people who are in working age. And as well as that, the actual declines are usually offset by other skills. As we get older, we get better with a range of other skills. We have routines, we have um, experiences that we can draw on to essentially be the best that we can be. So if you're a product manager and you're an older product manager, really a lot of that perceived decline is going to be far outweighed by having different experiences to do your job better. Yeah, I, I can um, absolutely see that. But I think as well as these stereotypes, yeah, they're, they're kind of what we think about when we think of individuals. Okay, they might not be as hungry or competitive, but you know, they might not be as competent. But I think more so- societally, it also feeds into this narrative that we have. Um, and there are a few elements in this narrative, but one is that older people through their life course are supposed to make way for the younger generation step aside, give the next generation a go. And I think that really plays into some of the bias that we see in the workplace. You know, I'm really honoured to be working with the Age Equity Alliance, doing a lot of work to promote age equality in the workplace, both for younger and older workers. I think that's the beauty of the organisation. For me and my research, uh, I'm really concerned with um, bias in hiring against older workers. Uh, it's definitely a thing. That's, uh, that's what my research shows is that people are really biased against older candidates. And from an organisational perspective, that suggests that we're overlooking the best candidates. Um, I think the research would say that older workers are equally capable as younger workers in the variety across a lot of domains. But on top of that, older workers tend to be slightly better with the citizenship behaviours. So being positive, encouraging others, some of uh, some of those things, uh, older workers just tend to have a bit of an edge. And older workers also tend to use social networks a bit better and have existing social networks that they can bring into an organization. So if we imagine if you're in technology and you're in a business development role, um, naturally a lot of older workers are going to have a slightly bigger network that they've built up over time that they can potentially um, bring in. So really, I think what I what I would like to say around age and age diversity is that we talk about the business case for diversity a lot. And really, we've predominantly been talking about gender or race and ethnicity in that business case for diversity. 
which I think is really important and valuable because they're the categories that have been underrepresented in organisations. And the challenge of talking about age and age bias is that age has not been traditionally underrepresented. But we're now seeing an economic change that means that age diversity is actually an imperative and we might need to change. And age doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, we, we are all getting older and age intersects with a lot of other characteristics so you know just being a woman doesn't mean that you're not going to get old or, or, you know these <laughs> that would be cool the questions uh, yeah. in our society people would so, love that but I, I think the beauty of age is is that it's something that um unites us all and brings us together so as a diversity characteristic because age engenders quite a lot of differences in the way that we see the world and what's happened. And so it becomes very valuable to our perspective. And so from a business case perspective, there's this kind of knowledge capital that we can get from having lots of different age information perspectives. In the same way as we get benefits from any other type of diversity, age is important to building that additional knowledge and those additional perspectives. And the other thing that age brings is the social capital um, and it's the same with other diversity is that, you know, it brings in different networks, like I said, and it can um, bring in different people to the organization. And we think about this when we think about our customers. If we're in an organization and our customers are older, um, then we should have people in the organization who understand the target market. Absolutely. So you're going to get both knowledge and social capital by increasing and focusing on age diversity. And we're missing out. We absolutely are. And I think it's it's fascinating to know the sort of slip that age has had in, in the workplace over time, because to your point, there, I believe, was much more of an element of pride associated with being experienced and being older in the workplace that you, know, you see borne out. Obviously, I am only I'm 40. I'm what I am. But what I've seen in media representations and what I've heard and what I've inferred from what I've observed, right, is that that was once sort of a a kudos for you. That was a feather in your cap, so to speak, right? And it seems like the opposite is becoming true, at least what I've seen in the tech world, right? And the representation of older individuals is not there. The, uh, The sort of adulation of older people is not there. The, 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 it's just an interesting slide. And so I wonder, has anything in your research helped point you towards a a hypothesis on why that has been the case. And and to your point, we necessarily have to change the way in which we view age in the workplace because we're going to have a much older population, right? So in order to fill the jobs, we need to change the way we view that. But I would love to hear a little bit more about your hypothesis on that, on that seeming slide, that, that perceived slide. Yeah, well, I think you've touched on a really nice point, which is that context matters. And I think we're in this age, we have been for some time really, of of digital advancement. And what we're seeing is that being an older worker in a technology company can happen as young as 35, uh, which is really scary. (laughs) Whereas in other other industries, uh, you know, what what constitutes an older worker might be someone in their 50s. And a lot of my work is focused on hiring in in careers involving technology, so tech companies or tech-adjacent roles. But I think there is a question of, well, what if we switch it? You know, if we were talking about 
teaching or acad- academia right. where I'm working um, or um, psychology as a therapist or as medicine. Yeah, perhaps there mm-hmm. we, we would see some of those traditional ages being uh, more respected mm-hmm. or looked up to or perhaps yep. that experience being seen as more relevant. So I think That's the true. context of where we look at age can determine a lot about what makes someone an older worker. A hundred percent. It's all relative. That's really true. And, you know, I wanted to touch on something that I found really fascinating, which was the exercise that we did at the Age Equity Alliance that you positioned or that you put out to the entire group who was on the phone call or Zoom, I guess. And it was a it was an experiment about how you would react to three specific candidates. Can you talk to me a little bit about that particular exercise and what you've seen as reactions and I mean, for me, it was a real wake-up call because I realized, oh my God, I'm I'm ageist. Great. Awesome. Like, what do we do if I'm I'm the person who wants to go explore this topic and create a platform for this specific societal change, and yet I myself have this sort of age bias ingrained in me. Yeah. Uh, so what I what I like to do it's a bit of an experiment. So it's almost like a simulated hiring decision. I show people three candidates two younger, one older, and the older candidate, I like to vary the experience, but there's usually kind of two competitive candidates. One of them is the older candidate who either has a little bit more experience or they have the same amount of experience. And I like to see who people hire. And generally what I find is that in these simulated hiring decisions, we see the older candidates, they're about one and a half times less likely to be selected. Wow. That's stark. And that's when 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 everything else is the same, that's that's what counts. And there's a lot of different reasons um, why that might be, and quite a bit of debate. So we know that in hiring practices, attractiveness is really important, and we know that often age is inversely seen so as being associated with attractiveness, yeah. which is which is really unfortunate. Um, and I think there's a bit of a debate about how much negative stereotypes play into these candidate assessments. Uh, these are the kind of traditional stereotypes that older workers are not as good with technology, they're not tech-native, they're not open to learning new things, they're not as open to change. And these have all been shown to be false, but they're really persistent, they're really sticky. And broadly, it comes down to, we spoke a bit earlier about competence, but also around productivity. So are these older workers going to be as productive as their younger counterparts? And when I ask people about their beliefs in productivity, I often find that they expect older workers to be slightly less productive than younger workers. The other thing that people are often doing when they're hiring is we're not just hiring for ourselves. We're often, if you're a recruiter, you're hiring for an end customer. Or even if you're not a recruiter, you're kind of hiring with a view to the team and what's going to happen in the team. And sometimes the preferences of others or the perceived preferences of others are playing into people's bias against older candidates. So that is, uh, it's not that I think they're the wrong candidate, but someone else might prefer someone younger, so I'm going to go with the younger candidate. Right. You won't get and as think, much pushback from the hiring manager if you serve up more of what they're used to in the organization, right? 
Exactly. And I think for me, that's that's some of the things that my research suggests. And I wish it was more positive, but uh, this step, it's, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I guess we have to meet the moment and recognize where we are and get working on on change. Because I I have also read some of those studies. I think it was Vizier that put out a report on on tech, and it was specifically focused, I believe, on on larger tech companies. But it was interesting because the findings were that people who were over 40, 45, et cetera, they had a far far lower chance of actually getting hired, getting an interview, all of that. But actually, once they came into the organization, they had higher performance reviews, which was interesting. So the older individual contributors and workers at these companies were actually performing quite well. So it's just to not even get a shake at it is is pretty, pretty tough. And I can I cannot tell you the number of people I've spoken with of late who recount to me that they have countless friends out there right now who are 45 plus who can't get a job to save their lives in tech. Mm. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to understand the amount of strain and stress that's being placed on all these individuals during this particularly rough time in the tech world, right? And to consider that we don't know when things are going to start to turn around and and to know that these individuals, even prior to this specific tech layoff boom, if you will, uh, that these individuals were already necessarily going to have a harder time landing roles. You add in just the influx of all the talent that's available right now across all age bands. And it just, it, it seems like it, it could only serve to make it even, even more terrible <laughs> for these individuals and make their, their time unemployed a little bit lengthier potentially. So it's um, it's grim. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen recent data, but I think the beauty of you know conversations like these is it's a reminder that actually there's a human cost, and yeah. I do know from past data that when older workers are unemployed, they tend to spend longer being unemployed, and that they often find it very hard to get back into work. So there is a there's a human side to these little biases and these experiments that we run. Right. And, and that's why I found that exercise that you, you gave us so impactful. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, I would say, uh, certainly, firstly, I'd like to say that I'm not immune from age biases either. I know that we can have a debate around conscious and unconscious bias and what's really conscious as psychologists, we like to, to do that. But I think I'm certainly um, carrying a lot of those age biases. And when it comes to older people and technology, I also sometimes like to think of my mother who's, you know, often asking me questions for the iPhone that I think she should already know. But the reality is, is that my mum's not working in technology and not doing a tech job. And the older people that I know who are of the same generation who are working in tech, they're highly accomplished and they're highly skilled and they learn the information they need to know in order to do their job well and it's the same with my mother she knows how to use the technology um, when it comes to getting done the things that she needs to get done but right. her job is not highly technology intensive and I think uh, I think the next thing to your point about starting with the individual I think that's a great step that we can all take if we want to start addressing this bias well let's turn it in on ourselves what does successful aging look like for each of us uh, what would it look like in the organization in which we're employed? Uh, what's it going to mean? And I think if we start having those conversations, again, because aging is something that we all share, then we're going to start making demands 
You know, we're going to want flexibility. We want good training. We're going to want reskilling and opportunities for advancement and to set goals. And I think that's going to be great for everyone, for people of all ages. But it might be some of those things, particularly around flexibility and good training and opportunities for reskilling, great for everyone, but they might be especially important to older workers. How do we show organizations what they're losing out on by not employing older workers and by not having an intergenerational workforce with a lot of different age ranges included, right? Because to your point, the the diversity we know provides better outcomes. But that's what I'm praying we can get to in terms of just actual hard facts and figures and percentages and statistics that will be impactful on the organizations that would be viewing those. Yeah, so I think one of the challenges in this space is it's very difficult to measure actual productivity and then tie it back to um, to diversity. It's one of the great challenges that we have. How do we show that link directly between diversity and productivity? And what we're really focused on in our research at London School of Economics is we're really focused on inclusion because we believe that inclusion is... Um, in some ways, a kind of shortcut to being able to show that there's better outcomes and something that we all instinctively know. We know what it's like to feel included and we know that when we feel included, we're working better. So it's an idea that we can kind of get everyone on board with. But part of that inclusivity means not being exclusive to a particular group. So if we start saying, okay, well, you know, there's a type of person who works here, then that's not (laughs) that by its definition, that is not inclusive. So I think that's one of the things that we can start to do around that is looking at measures. I think there is, we're trying very hard to embark on good data. So we're looking at things like innovation. Uh, We're looking at things uh, like um, raw measures of productivity, so how we assess team performance in relation to their competitors, how they're being assessed by senior leaders, as well as some of the harder metrics, looking at their overall workforce composition. So I think there are ways for us to start answering those questions as behavioural scientists, which I think will provide the hard facts. And um, I would take the opportunity to say to any listeners out there who are with an organisation and they want to be a part of the science, please contact me afterwards. We have a range of really exciting projects at London School of Economics. Um, We are looking for partners for a number of different initiatives. So please contact me and be involved if this is a question you want to answer. I am so happy you said that because I think that a great number of organizations across the tech industry should be participants. It's it's such a critical issue and I love that you're going about it the way in which you are to bring about those hard facts and figures because at this point as you mentioned, you know, a lot of this is just it's conceptual. We know greater innovation, better outcomes, diversity of thought, so on and so forth. All forms of diversity produce outcomes. We know that it's somewhat instinctually and then also just conceptually, but to have it validated and underscored by actual figures will be so wonderful. And I think that's where yeah. the real change will happen. Yeah. And I don't want to say that there aren't facts there. There are facts and the evidence certainly points in the direction. But in science, you know, we're in a constant state of learning, especially the work we're doing now. Um, I wanted to just ask you this, which is if if the people listening to this, if they could take one thing from our conversation and if they could take one small action 
in their own organizations, what would be the smallest, easiest step that you would suggest people take just to open the doors to this kind of a conversation? Yeah, I would I would ask people to take the step of taking a little bit of time out for themselves. If it's a sunny day, take a notepad out in the sunshine and think about their older working selves and think about what they might want for their career and from their organization. And I think if we all do that and we all do it with compassion and curiosity about who we'll be and who we want to be as an older worker, then that will help us not only create and focus on some of our own goals, but maybe treat and see those around us who are aging at work, um, treat them a little bit with a bit of curiosity about what their goals might be. And uh, hopefully we can have a more age-inclusive workforce as a result. I love that. That's a beautiful idea. And gosh, I wish I could have a time machine to go back because I I remember at one point I I used to joke with my older colleagues and say, oh, yeah, you're just an old guy, you know, and gosh, I wish I could take that back. It's like if you could change that with any other sort of 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 diverse factor like gosh you woman over you cannot like you it's the one thing that people feel like is fair game and it's so wrong and now that i'm seeing that i just i wish i could undo it but i love that exercise the same for me yeah Yeah, the number of people as a young as a young worker who i thought had failed who were actually just really engaged and loving their job and didn't necessarily want to rise up the ladder Um, when i was much younger i saw that as you know, as a negative, as lack of motivation or lack of confidence, um, when really a lot of these people were just doing work that they loved and right. had found what they valued about their jobs and were keen to preserve it. And I wish I'd also treated them with perhaps more respect and more curiosity. So, Likewise. So it's I do certainly think we a need learning. A, yeah. yeah. And we need a reframe on what it means. I know I have friends who are at Amazon, you know, that small company, and people have a very bad association with people who have dwelled, who have a certain dwell time in a role that haven't moved up. And perhaps they don't want to, perhaps they have all they need to have an exceptional career where they are, but it's definitely viewed as a negative and it puts people on the chopping block. And it's, it's really, it's a sad reality. So I hope we can also work to reformat our brains on, on what we, we view as an appropriate length of time and, and the value of, of more senior independent contributors, right, who are really adding a lot to their organizations, but not necessarily climbing the ladder. It's not for everyone. Yeah, so. and, and how we view success in, in general, right. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a really good point. We need to we need to do a little bit of work. We have some deep work to do, but I love the idea that you've left everyone with, which is to go and write a letter to your future self. That is that is awesome. I think that's a really we can all do that no matter what our age is. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Maureen, for starting this podcast, for having me and yeah, really for drawing attention to this really important topic. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today at It Gets Late Early. I hope this episode was insightful and entertaining. Now, before you go, if you're old and work in tech, just like me, I have something really cool for you. We're putting together a job board specifically for seasoned tech workers, where we'll curate the best opportunities for experienced tech talent. If you want a place to look for work where you can trust there won't be so much bias in the hiring process, go to itgetslateearly.com and sign up so you'll be the first to know when we launch it. Thanks and see you next time.